You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. For Panther fans who want to keep pounding. For the ones who want an inside look at the vault. This is Views from Midstream. Now. Here's your host, Lonzo Wrightsell and Rob Brown. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome into yet another rousing edition of the Views from Mint Street podcast, your home for all the Carolina Panther football talk that you could possibly want, and then a little bit more. We are so glad and grateful to have you along for the ride. My name is Rob Brown, host of the Rob Brown Show in Greenville, South Carolina, right in the heart of of Panther Country and of course joining me along for the ride as always on the other side of the metaphorical glass my co-host my partner in crime we call him the great one Lonzo Reitzel here as well and Zoe still riding the high of that 23-10 win over Denver and now we ride that high into the bye week which is uh which is nice because we're going to have that love and feeling, oh, whoa, whoa, that love and feeling for at least uh, a solid 14 days. And and coming out of that into one of the easiest remaining schedules in the National Football League and doing so with a one-game uh, lead being held by the Buccaneers right now. And with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, while we are on the bye week, their next, their next matchup comes up against the Saints, but then they've got the Niners, the Bengals, the Cardinals, who will have uh, Kyler Murray back after that, and then the Carolina Panthers, whereas off the bye for us, it's a heck of a lot easier schedule. Uh, I got to tell you, you know, we, we, we talked a little bit in the podcast that we dropped on Monday our reaction pod to the Denver win. I said a number of times that the, the Baltimore loss uh, did not put me off that much because I thought we really did compete and perform in that game. That was a very winnable game for Carolina. But on top of that, uh, again, I'm not saying we win the division, but my goodness, even Rob Brown, the tank commander the past four or five weeks after what we did against Atlanta after what we did against Baltimore in Baltimore, and after we put away Denver, knowing the easiest part of the schedule is coming up, knowing that we're only a game out of Tampa Bay, and knowing that Tampa Bay's got a couple of genuine Super Bowl contenders lined up in the next four weeks, whereas we do not, uh, even if Detroit looks better and and Pittsburgh got the win over Indy, I got to tell you, man, like I don't think there's anything wrong with being an optimistic Carolina Panther fan right now. Well, that, that Pittsburgh win was, was kind of boring and, and blah. And uh, they weren't playing a, a good defense, like what the Panthers have and listening to the what's left of Tampa Bay schedule makes me pretty happy uh, for the Panthers for sure. Especially since the national media, well, someone has to win the South. We, we know it's going to be Tampa Bay. Do you, you don't know that you definitely don't know that. Who did Tampa Bay just lose to? And they and they're going to be playing some better teams coming up. This this division is. I'm not saying for sure this is the Panthers' division to win because Atlanta and even New Orleans could win this. Well, maybe not New Orleans. The uh, the Saints looked uh, 
feckless against the 49ers it's on good Sunday. Word. It's a really good word. Yeah, I know. It's I, I, I want to work it into my rotation more often. The Saints look feckless. Uh, the Falcons just lost to the Washington Commanders. That was a week after they had to dig down deep to slip by the Bears, which was a week after we beat Atlanta. So, you know, I, I, I'm going to say I think the Carolina Panthers are in a better spot than the New Orleans Saints are right now. I think the Carolina Panthers are in a better spot than the Atlanta Falcons right now. I think their true colors have come out the past couple of weeks. Uh, look, we've got a top half of the league defense. Uh, we've got an offense that I believe if Sam Darnold doesn't try to play hero ball and just manages the game well, has more than enough skill position talent to drag him into some wins. Our special teams, and we're going to talk here in just a minute because I think one of the weapons that we have not spent enough time talking about uh, over the past handful of weeks has got to be Johnny Hecker, who did an incredible job in his five punt efforts against Denver last weekend. Uh, the special teams units are there when we haven't blown field goals like we did earlier in the year that cost us a couple, like we did against the Atlanta game uh, in Atlanta a few weeks back. I got to tell you, man, like, I look at the Saints offense. There's nothing there that scares me. Kamara put the ball on the ground twice. Andy Dalton ain't the guy. Uh, and, and and honestly, right now, I think Steve Wilkes can coach circles around Dennis Allen at this point. I look at Atlanta, and I do think that Atlanta is positioned well for the future. I, I honestly think that I, I would not be shocked if next year your divisional crown competitors weren't Atlanta and Carolina coming down the stretch. New Orleans is in a reboot mode, and they don't have the resources to do it. Don't have a first-round pick that's in Philly. Are way up against the cap, and while I've always joked the cap is imaginary, there are real results that come with kicking the can like the Saints have. And I still believe that when Tom Brady decides to pull the plug on the career, and I've got to imagine if they keep playing sub-500 ball, that would be sooner rather than later. Tampa Bay is going to hit the skids hard because they've got a lot of guys they're going to have to let walk as well. Uh, you know, we've, we've kind of been taking this approach, though, of the Carolina Panthers are really well set up to lead this division over the next two or three years. The reality is, courtesy of some help from the schedule, I, 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 I'm I a pessimist. You can ask Lonzo. I'm a realist how I label myself. A lot of people call that pessimist. I'm looking right now with a Tampa team that just lost to Cleveland, with an Atlanta team that just lost to Washington, with a New Orleans team that got shut out by San Francisco. So I'm not kidding. I, I, this is not, hey, I'm wearing silver and blue doing a Carolina podcast optimism. This is true-to-life, genuine optimism. There's a damn good chance the Carolina Panthers make the freaking playoffs this year. Well, looking at the scheduling for, for not only the Panthers, but for everybody else, it definitely is a real possibility. And it really comes down to Tampa Bay. If, if, they, if they play to their potential, they probably are going to win it. But you just pointed out they lost to Cleveland. And if you lose to Cleveland, you've got some better teams that you're going to have to pay, uh, play as far as they goes. And uh, with the Panthers, I think the hardest team or – one of the hardest teams is going to be Detroit. I'm more worried. I'm more worried about Detroit than probably any other team. They got to play the rest of the way. 
Yeah, listen, the, the, the Lions are a team that have got a lot of heart. They're still not a great team. They're an improving team, a team with a heck of a lot of heart, but not a great team. I mean, listen, you come off the bye. You're but you, you don't get it. You don't get it when Detroit is the team that you're really worried about. I think I think things are looking pretty bright the rest rest of the world. I, I, I would say this. If Seattle was coming to Charlotte, I'd feel a lot better. Uh Seattle fans make Seattle a very difficult place to play. Uh and while the Seahawks, who are currently sitting right now at six and five, Seattle is a team that is coming off of back-to-back L's, the one in Germany against Tampa Bay. They also lost to a very bad Raiders team, and they've got an L.A. Rams team that is trying to put it together right now, standing between us and them coming up on the 11th of December. I would be very careful about that game at Seattle coming off of the bye uh, but I would tell you that looking at a Detroit Lions team that, uh, you know, I, we've we've kind of made fun of Dan Campbell because that team has really lacked defense. But this is a team that has lost th- uh, one of their last four. They've won three of their last four wins over the Packers, Bears and Giants. Their only L was to Josh Allen and the Bills. And that was a three point football game. On Thanksgiving, they needed some heroics for, and they've got the Jags, Vikings, and Jets between us. So they'll be probably a little bit worn down by the time that we get there. I'm not disagreeing. I'm not looking over Detroit at all. I'm just saying I I think we will learn a heck of a lot about the football team that we root for in Charlotte. I think we will learn quite a bit about this Panthers team uh, coming off the bye when we've got to go to Seattle. How do we handle adversity? How do we handle a loud stadium? How do we land, handle a team that had some confidence, is reeling just a little bit, but uh, we know has the ability to open up the offense with guys like DK Metcalf? Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm not – I'll say this. That Seattle game, though, is going to tell us, in my opinion, it is going to tell us if this Panthers team is truly a playoff team even if it's because they're in a bad division, truly a quality team that can do something in the playoffs and surprise some people, or if it is a team that just picked up a couple of hokey dubs here and there uh, because they're fighting for an interim head coach. Well, while I've been watching the press conferences, I was in for a major shock, and that shock is Steve Wilkes has decided to go ahead and name the starter like two weeks ahead of time Sam Darnold is starting, so Sam gets a second start. I was a little shocked. I'm a little shocked. Yeah, but I, I think it's the right decision, right? We were gonna we're gonna get to this, but what the heck? Let's get to it now. Uh, I, I I genuinely assumed that it would be Darnold. I don't know who else it would have been, right? Like I said, I I, I absolutely believe that. Baker Mayfield at this point, like you're just protecting the pick you sent to Cleveland. Let's not give away a higher round spot than we need to. Uh, you know, the, the high ankle sprain of PJ Walker, there's no way to be sure that two weeks away he'll be anywhere near going at that point. And, and, and I don't know if Steve Wilkes is part of the you can't lose your starting role to injury or not camp, but Sam Darnold, uh, Sam Darnold came out in that game against Denver. He, as you said in the pod earlier this week, uh, managed the game 
exceptionally well, right? Like he managed the game exceptionally well. Uh, he did not create any catastrophic turnovers. He did not make mistakes that created situations that were more difficult than they needed to be. And right now, that's what we need a quarterback, a guy who is going to do enough to let DJ Moore shine, a guy that is going to understand that giving the ball to Deontay Foreman and Chuba Hubbard 40, 42, 45 times is what we need. That's the identity of this team. And I think Sam Darnold has done all those things. I frankly think starting Sam Darnold is the right decision. Hey, if he blows it, we can reevaluate. But if he plays the game that he played against Denver in two weeks on the road at Seattle, we got a real chance to win that football game. I think the matchups are there for us. Well, and the the other thing, Sam Darnold in his press conference was asked about the rolling touchdown. And he's just like, yeah, it's going to get replayed over and over again, but we got the win. So, I mean, you know, whatever you need to do to win. And he showed a little bit of personality. I was, was he smiled. It, it was scary. I, I don't recall seeing that for a long, long time. So, um, still got a week. Of, uh, they're, they're off the entire week, which I think is pretty cool for them that they're, that they're not practicing, uh, this next week and, uh, we'll be back in time to, to start getting ready for Seattle. So that, that also means, a chance for a lot of guys to uh, to get some rest and recover and heal up some of those bumps and bruises. Yeah, no, listen, the bye comes at a great time, right? You've got some momentum. You're riding the high a little bit. Now you come back. You, you're going to be a little bit more healthy than some of the teams you're lining up against. I think it's a, uh, I think it's an outstanding time to hit the bye week, and I think that it also is going to give you some time to go look at that film against Denver and really pull out the things that went right so you can hyper-focus on those and build those to figure out the couple of things that went wrong, especially late in the game when it looked like Russ Wilson might decide to make it more interesting than we would have liked down the stretch uh, to figure out kind of what started to get away from you a little bit and start to put the pieces in place to do the same thing at Seattle because, like I said a minute ago, I think that game coming off the bye at Seattle is going to potentially be the most genuine is they or ain't they type uh, realization, revelation that we'll have about this football team. We come off the bye and play well on the road at Seattle, maybe go into Seattle and get a win. Now, all of a sudden, Carolina could win this division goes from something that only the podcast bros like us are saying and turns into a conversation you're going to hear on the big networks, and it won't be a silly conversation to be had anymore. It'll be a genuine one. All right, the Views from Mint Street podcast rolls on. Rob Brown, Lonzo Reitzel with you. And if you have not done it already, do us a favor. If this is your first pod, especially, go to wherever you get your podcast, whether it is on Stitcher, whether it's on Spotify, on Google Play, on Apple iTunes. Hit that subscribe button. Make sure you turn on your notifications so you don't miss a episode. We drop multiple ones per week. And, of course, and as always, we ask you to share it around in your social circle so we can continue to grow the show. Listen, I uh, I wanted to get uh, I wanted to get to this because I, I I think there's a guy 
on this roster that we have not spent enough time talking about great one. Uh, and that, of course, is our punter. Johnny Hecker comes over from the Rams after a Super Bowl run last year. I went back and, you know, I, I, I watched the game live and then I always go back and I do a film study session where I kind of run through and I rewatched. There were five punts from Johnny Hecker against the Denver Broncos this past Sunday, and they were all absolute bangers. The first two were down inside the 20. The second punt was down down inside the five. Uh, the third punt was a rocket from the 40-yard line that got fair caught right at the 11-yard line. Johnny Hecker was a field-flipping machine for the Panthers this weekend, was excellent on all five punts. And if you follow these stats, if these stats matter to you, Johnny Hecker finished that game with a with a pro football focus single game grade of 72.2. That is the best single game grade of his career. It was the best punting performance in the National Football League. And while you would love situations in which your punter didn't have to work on a Sunday, if he does and he works with the efficiency that Johnny Hecker worked with this weekend, Lonzo, there's something to be said about a guy who can flip the field that often. Johnny Hecker needs his love. Yeah, so many drives that uh, that Seattle had to start way down on their side of the field. Directional punting, I don't think, gets as much credit as it needs to. And field position is very important. You hear people talk about that all the time, but it is. If, if you're starting way back there and have to go almost the full field to score points and you're not a very good team and you're a struggling team like Denver is, uh, that really was – one of the major reasons why Carolina was able to win that game because Seattle, in order to get points, would have to go the whole way, and they weren't up to the task. Johnny Hecker's fourth punt in that game, I think, is an absolute illustration of just how good this guy is and how important this guy is. That ball was kicked from the 19-yard line, right? Like, I went back because I'm like, no, these numbers can't be right. Johnny Hecker put his boot on that football at the Carolina 19-yard line. This dude had so much hang time that the Broncos receiver had to call for a fair catch on the 15 on the other side of the field. Not only does Hecker send it that far, but he sends it that far with so much hang time underneath it that he doesn't outkick his coverage, right? Like how many times have you seen great kick returners get a good return because the punter booms the ball or the kickoff man booms the ball beyond where the coverage would start to break down because the kicker, the kick returner, pardon me, has so much ability to stretch the field and guys are taking bad angles because they don't really have time to let it develop out by the time they get to where a tackle could be reasonably made. And by that point, you kick it that far, a kick returner's got a full head of steam as he makes his way through the first line of defense. Johnny Hecker boomed that thing about 75 yards and did so in such a high arc that the kick returner, 
had to call a fair catch. There was nowhere to go. It was just a wall of black shirts out in front of him. Johnny Hecker flips the football field in an absolutely uh, incredible way. An absolutely incredible way. It is absolutely a weapon for us that, like I said, I don't think enough people are really talking about how important he is to this football team. And damn it, Lonzo, punters are people and deserve love too. Doesn't that feel weird? It, it feels weird talking about talking about a, a, a kicker. You're talking about a kicker in such a such a wonderful light. You're absolutely right, but still, it just it just feels kind of wrong. It doesn't feel wrong for me. All right, I understand. The ma- the macho in me is like, he's talking about a kicker. You can't be doing that. But uh, the 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 guy who wants to win in me is like, yeah, I'm glad he's on our side. Yeah, no, listen, I don't ever want the punter on the field, right? Like, a great day for me is a never-punt day. A great day for me is a day that the punter walks into the locker room bored because he just watched the football game the same way that I did, sitting on his rear end the whole time. But we also know that that ain't us, right? Like, we're not a team that's going to punch in every time we get the ball. There's some growing pain still being worked out. So to know that you've got a guy sitting over there on the sideline that when he does boom the rock can completely turn field positioning on its head, man, there's a little confidence in the chest because of that, right? Like, you know that you can be a little more adventurous. You can be a little more courageous. You can be a little more aggressive with your play calling on third and one, third and two, because if you don't get it, even if Johnny Hecker's punting from his own red zone, there's still a really good chance their next drive is going to start in their red zone. Uh, directional punting, co- coffin corner punting is a lost art. I would think more NFL coaches would start leaning into. They certainly would if they had a Johnny Hecker. This dude deserves jersey sales is all I'm saying. Yeah, parents, teacher, teacher, sons how to kick. And if they're really good at it, like he is, you can have a, a long career with a uh, minimal uh, worry of getting hurt. You know what? You know what the punter is. If I may go off uh, the top of my head for a second, you know what the punter is. Though the punter is the bassist, right? The punter is the bassist. Nobody ever, as a kid, thinks to themselves. I want to play bass. We all want to play guitar or drums or be the lead singer. Nobody grows up wanting to be the bassist, but every now and then a kid gets told, Hey dude, we need somebody to play bass. Like this is only going to work if we have a bassist and the kid turns into a great bassist. And now all of a sudden the band's got a chance because they've got a more thorough sound to them. Uh, bassists deserve more love. Punters deserve more love. It's a hill I'll die on. And I've never been a bassist nor a punter. I don't, I don't have anything to add to that. I really, I really don't. That was, a, that, was, that was an awesome analogy. I am so glad I was there for the whole thing, and I'm so glad the listeners got to hear it too. Yes, that's indeed. Not All right. So now with that win and with a Raider win this weekend, we now find ourselves in the 2023 NFL draft order holding on to pick number five. Standing between us, And the top of the draft order, the Seattle Seahawks. And you go, how? They have the pick of the Denver Broncos. We just helped push that Seattle pick one spot ahead of us. Right ahead of them are the Detroit Lions. 
a pick owned by the L.A. Rams but traded to Detroit as part of the Jared Goff Matt Stafford package. And then Chicago at three and nine has the number two pick. And at one, nine and one, the Houston Texans find themselves in the number one spot. Obviously, this is kind of an interesting spot because, on one hand, I'm obviously very closely following the NFL draft. Why? Because the higher that spot is, either A, the better chances we have of drafting the guy we think would be the generational quarterback moving forward, or the higher we are, the fewer of the eight picks we have in this draft we will have to utilize to trade up and get one of those guys if that is the direction that we decide to go in with our first round draft pick. Uh, But just to go on the record, just to make it official so that you can stop asking me my take on all of this. I would prefer to win the division. I want the generational quarterback. We need the generational quarterback. We are going to have to eventually find the generational quarterback, but with a capital B, a capital U and a capital T, we've got a good defense. We've got a well-managed offense based on what we saw against Denver And we have got, and we're going to come to this in a minute, a head coach right now that seems to have the locker room squarely in his back pocket and helping to push him along. And a special teams unit, as we just talked about, that's really good. Man, I I know you hate to look at a team that is currently sitting at four and eight and go, are they a threat? I'm not saying we're a threat to beat the Bills or the Chiefs or any of the, or the Eagles or any of the bigwigs, but man, How good of a look is it and how much easier does it become to attract free agents over the next couple of years if we make that run here? Uh, You know, I I told you the draft order, Lonzo, and I'm also not particularly worried about it, to be honest. All right. First of all, that's a whole lot of butt that you just talked about. I just want to make sure that it's a big butt and I cannot lie. Yes. Yes. It's it's a lot of butt. Uh if the Panthers don't pick a quarterback, though, there's going to be a lot of angry people in this area, for sure. Uh, but the fact that they, they've they got some picks that they can trade to move up. Uh, does Houston take a quarterback? Probably. Some of, the, some of the other guys ahead of us probably are going to take a quarterback. But also some of them might be willing to go, yeah, I'll take Sam Darnold, Baker Mayfield, and uh, some other draft picks to give up my one. I mean, I realize those guys aren't on contracts. So I guess you can't use them, but still, yeah. uh, still, still uh, there, there's, there's a lot of things that you could do to move up and who knows what if, and I, I, this is a big, what if I'm not going to throw any more butts out there because we've already had enough of those. Um, what if Sam Darnold is the Sam Darnold he was supposed to be a long time ago and actually wins the rest of the games. What do you do then? Because he's uh, this is it for his rookie contract. So you've yeah, got to decide what you want year. to do this with is him. Extension year, and that's that's that is that again. It's an aspect that I am interested to see what the on, on, be, on behalf of sounds like. I was going to say on behalf of Panther fans, if they kept Sam Darnold, I think I'd be upset. I, I think everyone's Unless looking forward he goes to, out and they win out and win the division. In which case. Know, because here's, here's the question, right? The question then becomes, all right, you're going to end up drafting a quarterback. Unless you're one or two, you're not getting Bryce Young. 
you're not getting C.J. Strap. Uh, so the question would be, and keep in mind, if you win out and make the playoffs, you're probably drafting somewhere down in the neighborhood of 24-25. Uh, the guys that are going to be available in that neighborhood are going to be Tanner McKee out of Stanford, uh, a redshirt sophomore technically, but uh, took two years on a Latter-day Saints mission after high school, so he is still eligible to play. He actually uh, was in the same recruiting class as Trevor Lawrence out of Clemson, so you're looking at a guy who's a couple of years behind uh, and is is right now sitting at about a 20, about a 76 quarterback rating on the season, or Hendon Hooker out of Tennessee will likely be available there. But keep in mind, Hendon Hooker tore his ACL in that game against the South Carolina Gamecocks a couple of weeks ago. So you're taking a prospect project quarterback who is coming off of a major injury and major knee surgery. Like, I understand the concept of if we don't draft a quarterback, we'll be mad. But my question to those people, you included, would be, How many of those draft picks, knowing that every team that needs a quarterback is going to be in the same conversation, how many and what value of those draft picks are you giving away to jump into the number one or number two spot? And all of that works on the assumption that the Houston Texans at the one spot aren't already in line and, 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 you know, definitively have decided to take a quarterback. Chicago, if they stay there, is not going to take a quarterback. They're riding with Justin Fields. But who ahead? I mean, uh, you know, Denver can't take a quarterback. The Rams are probably going to have to get a quarterback. I don't see Stafford sticking around. Uh, You know, if you win out, it's going to be a lot of teams that are going to be looking to trade with one of those teams to get Young or Stroud out of there. How much of those seven additional picks worth of value are you willing to trade to go get a quarterback and risk not improving other important elements of the team in the offseason? Well, if you're happy with what you got, and there are some really good pieces here already, you don't have to worry about offensive line as long as they keep those guys together. Uh, there are defensive pieces that you don't have to worry about. I'm willing to trade half those picks to go up and get a quarterback. I just I just don't know that you're going to get more of the same if you stick with who you got. That's that's the problem, and that's going to be the concern. And, again, that's why us fans are fans and, and those guys make the decisions. In the end, if you look at the, at the draft classes the last few years, Panthers have drafted pretty well. So I, I, if they don't pick a quarterback, they're going to pick someone that's that's necessary. But it doesn't mean you got to be happy about it as a fan. All righty, ladies and gentlemen, the views from Men Street Podcast rolls on. Rob Brown of the great one, Lonzo Reitzel with you here as we give you the midweek edition of the pod. If you're enjoying the pod, do us a favor, share it around on your social media so we can continue to grow the community. How about this one, Lonzo? There was a piece in The Athletic uh, talking about Steve Wilkes. And there was an interesting little blurb in that that kind of jumped out at me that I wanted to bring out. And I, I won't read you the whole thing, but I want to read you one little part that really kind of caught 
my attention right in the middle of the piece, right? Here's what it said, and then I want to get your knee-jerk reaction to it. So it said, and I quote from The Athletic, Steve Wilkes has a way of relating to players who have responded well to his straightforward approach. After last week's 13-3 loss at Baltimore, Wilkes started the week by challenging the star players to play like stars. To punctuate the message, Wilkes had the video department put photos of all the high draft picks and prominent free agents on the projector screen in the meeting room. It was akin to being called out, but the way Wilkes presented it, it felt more like a challenge, linebacker Frankie Louvu and other players said. Burns recalled Wilkes saying, quote, there are the stars, go be stars. Burns said, and we were like, yes, sir. The stars responded. Luvu had a team leading eight tackles. Burns had two sacks on Wilson, including a strip sack and three quarterback hits. Deontay Foreman posted his fourth 100-yard rushing game, and DJ Moore had his best game in a month. Brian Burns said, quote, I love Wilkes. Man, it's probably too soon to tell what they're going to do, but I love Wilkes. That's my dog, end quote. Well, as far as <laughs> my first thought is what quarterbacks were up there. I, I mean, on on the on, on the overhead or whatever he was using the the PowerPoint. I don't know. Uh, he he looks to me like an overhead kind of guy. You know, still back there in the overhead. Ah, what quarterbacks were up there? Yeah, the defense played well. Yeah, the so all the guys who you expected to play well played well. What quarterbacks were on that screen? Or did he consider any of them stars? It's a good question, right? Do you throw Baker up there? Do you throw Sam up there? Do you put a little pressure on those guys? I mean, y'all got the fat contracts. You're the QB. Uh, what I do know is... None of them talked, by the way. None of them right. talked. And and to the majority of the fans and the way that, that uh, media and advertising is directed, the quarterback is the star of just about every team. And if you don't put the quarterback up there when you're this matchup coming this Sunday, it's always this quarterback versus this quarterback. I didn't hear a quarterback mentioned in there or talked to or or anything. I just kind of find that odd. I will say this. The guys that I wanted to perform uh, in this game, right? Luvu, Burns, they did. They stepped up. And the fact that they – liked appreciated and, and took that because I you know when I when I started reading that piece the first time when I was when I was going through that piece for the first time and I was looking through that piece for the first time and I came across that story right that story where Steve Wilkes put the faces of the stars on a projector up in front of the room uh I could see how a Thinly egoed player could look at that and go, no, for us, not cool, right? Like you're 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 kind of putting us on blast a little bit. That's not a great look. I'm yeah, not but, down but with that. Think of it another way. If your picture isn't up there, you talk about th- thin egos. If 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 you consider yourself a star and your picture ain't up on that screen, how are you reacting? You're not loving the coach for that. Is is that gonna make you dig deep and become the star so you're up there no you're getting paid like everybody else you're probably pretty offended that he doesn't expect you to be a star 
See, and I guess that's why I, I, I guess that's kind of why I, I find it interesting, though, because I'm looking at it and I'm thinking to myself, all right, he found a way that he could call out the guys that need to be called out. He found a way that he could add a little pressure to them to tell you, we need you guys to perform here. But here's my thought. My thought would be, if I'm not on that board, right, and I consider myself a star and I'm not on that board, the challenge to me now is, what do I need to do to get Wilkes to put my picture up there, right? Like, I want to get called out. I want to get called out. I want to be a star because, as we've talked about a number of times, an element of this right now for me is, and I still think it's true even if we are making a playoff push, an element of what this year is to me is, who the hell wants to be here and who wants to be here next year when this division now belongs to us? If you want to be here next year and be on a contender, and I think we will be, I need you to prove that to me right now. And so if that is the message, if that is the intent that Wilkes has here, I think it's kind of interesting that you've created this scenario where the guys that are on the board feel like it is a call out, but not a disrespectful one, right? Like your leaders, I expect you to lead. You are the guys we're looking to, 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 to bust it out there for me. And then if your name's not up there, right? Cause I'll tell you right now, you and I, you know, we, we've talked about this and our work ethic and mentality and all that. Every time that, our big boss, our GM, or our programming director pops out an email that's like, hey, we want to recognize the efforts of this, that, and the other. We want to recognize these people for going above and beyond. When my name's on it, I'm like fist pump, like Tiger Woods, baby, just knocking down a 12th at the Masters. And if my name's on, not on it, I'm like, yo, what the hell, man? They're like, what the hell? I've got to be better. I want my name on this email next time it gets sent out. That's kind of what Wilkes did here. And if you are too much of a diva, that that bothers you so much that you're like, I'm out. Cool, man. That's what I'm looking for. I want to know who wants out to have this team, when it turns the corner next year, have a bunch of guys that are lockstep to get there. I loved this story. And maybe if it happens to another coach, I go, well, that's kind of dumb and cheesy. But in this scenario, I think it's absolutely fan-dagumtastic, as Bobby right. Bowden would say. All right, so so and maybe it's just a contrarian in me, or maybe it's uh, the guy in me who sees other people get the spotlight and the shine, and they don't always deserve it. Especially a lot of times, is they get recognition when they're not the ones who did the hard work and not the ones who got them there. I so many times coaches talk about the team and about how we're a team, we're a unit, we're a family. What he just did was the opposite of that. He said, these guys are better than all of you. These are my guys. If you're not up on the list, you're not one of my guys. So if I'm a guy who's who's a, a workhorse, who's out there every day before anybody else and there after everybody else, and I'm not up on that screen, I'm upset because I'm looking at this going, okay, this guy's not my guy. This is not the team where I need to be. I need to go somewhere where they appreciate everybody and don't put these guys up on a pedestal and say, these guys are the ones who are going to get us there, but everybody else, um, thanks for being on the team. Now, see, I, I, like I said, I don't take it that way, right? 
You get those same emails. You get the same emails I do at work, though. You're telling me when they call out and they go, "This host, this host, this host went above and beyond." Do you look at that email and go, "Oh, I guess I'm not one of the team," or do you spin around in the chair and be like, "Rob Brown, we got to work more. We got to do." I know you. You take it as a direct challenge to get your name on that email the next time it goes out. That's how I took it. I was like, "Yo, I want on that email." If you are Yitor Gross Matos and your name's not up there with Luvu and Burns. If you are the type of dude that Steve Wilkes wants on this team, should it be the head coach next year, you're going to come out next week and you're going to get you two or three sacks so that the week after that, when he says, go be stars, you're one of the stars he talks about. Not my guy. Uh, he uh, only recognizes front runners, only only recognizes guys with names, doesn't care about the the, the, the little guy, the glue that is the team. There is no team here. There are only stars, and that bothers me. All right, let's get to what was based on the way that uh, social media was talking about Carolina this week. The biggest story of the week, great one. Matt Rule got hired by the Nebraska Cornhuskers, which, if I may, quick timeout. If we would like to teleport, if we would like to time travel back, I don't know, about eight, nine weeks, I believe that there was one particular podcaster and radio host in Greenville, South Carolina, that said repeatedly, if Rule is let go early, it is because he has found a coaching job and he will be the head coach before this college football season is over. And I gave you one school that I thought was the front runner, and it was the University of Nebraska. This is a deal that works out well. Listen. Look at, look at you putting your own picture up there on that. I know. I like. I thought about adding, but we have a visual component to this because we put our short clips out. I thought about photoshopping a picture of me holding up a winner's trophy that just says "Right Again" uh, because I was. Uh, look, I don't really particularly care about coaching buyouts and all that. Right. The only thing I care about is the impact it would have mentally on an owner and a general manager. Right. Like, would this shy tepper away? from the next time there's a coach that he thinks is the next guy, would it shy him away from offering uh, a contract that would be competitive with other teams maybe looking at that same guy? And the answer is I got no way of knowing that to be true one way or the other. But uh, I am sure to David Tepper for Nebraska to give Matt Rule, what was it, like an an eight- or nine-year contract that is easily – going to be worth more than the 40 mil that Tep would have been on the hook if Matt Rule decided to stay on uh, you know stay uh, unemployed that is a big factor but what is interesting about it is not just the fact that Matt Rule is now a Nebraska Cornhusker and the head coach of that football program what is interesting it is is not just that Rule is gone it's now that there are a couple of coaches that are leaving Carolina to head on over. Assistant defensive line coach Terrence Knighton and assistant strength coach Corey Campbell have both left the program, according to The Athletic. And Joe Person from The Athletic, who reported on this and broke that news, says that there, quote, could be other departures coming soon, but those are the first two, end quote. So, you know, here's the thing. I saw a lot of Panthers folks on social media early, though, that were freaking out about this, right? They're like, oh, Matt Rule's going to take. Here's the thing, man. 
whether it's Steve Wilkes or anybody else next year, a lot of these guys were going to be out anyway, right? Like a head coach, when he comes in, wants all of his guys in the role. Guys they like, guys they trust, they want them in the role. This was inevitable. It's going to happen. If we were a two-win football team, nobody cares about this. I get not wanting to break up the cohesion, the chemistry, when you're in a divisional run right now, Zoe. Uh, But these guys were all going to be gone more than likely next year anyway. It's not the end of the world. I don't know how much chemistry. Because remember, these are all OOU guys, right? All OOU guys. Now that the OOU era is over, I don't know how much, if any, chemistry was ultimately going to be disrupted there. But like I said, don't panic. Don't worry about it. These were all guys that weren't going to be there next year anyway. And while I would love to win the division this year, more important to me, though, is having the best possible team and coaching uh, coaching staff constructed for next year's run at what I think will be a very depleted NFC South. All right. And as far as that goes, we don't know if any of these coaches – that are currently with the Panthers will be there next year. Cause there's no, it's, it's not a guarantee that Wilkes gets this job. And if he does, sure. he's probably only keeping one other guy. Everybody else was going to be gone anyway. And that's, that's, that's his guy that he brought with him. Uh, who's the defensive coordinator right now. He stays, everybody else was going to go. And it's not unusual for, for a coach to go somewhere and bring the guys with them that he brought to that place. Those are guys that, that Matt rule hired. Because the way Tepper runs things, the, uh, the the coach gets to make the hires for his assistant coaches. So he hired all those guys, and those are guys that have probably been with him everywhere he's gone. And uh, and and Rule is even you know grabbing guys from other college programs and stuff too. So um, uh, South Carolina's offensive coordinator Marcus yeah. Satterfield has left the Gamecocks to head up there. Yeah, so um, it's not unusual. I don't know if this says one way or another if Wilkes is going to get the job, but if you were disappointed, him everyone was with uh, with Matt Rule's tenure there at Carolina Panthers, you want him to take all his guys with him anyway. We shall find out the future, ladies and gentlemen. Of course. In the future, that is going to do it for this episode of the Views from Mint Street podcast. The next episode, of course, drops on Friday. It's the bye week, so we'll have a little fun on Friday, right? We'll, we'll, we'll hand out some midseason grades. Well, I guess slightly after midseason grades, we'll do another rundown, the status of the NFC South, maybe even spend some time breaking down the Saints, the Bucks, and the Falcons and where they are right now. Friday's show is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, do us a favor. Make sure you are subscribed to the Views from Ministry podcast. Make sure you are downloading every episode of the Views from Ministry podcast and make sure that you are spreading it around the social circle so that we can continue to do this bad boy. Lonzo, any final words for the people? Yeah, it's a, it's the number two show off of six pods off of a victory. And, and I'm okay with that. I like being happy every single time. Uh, so looking forward to having fun on Friday. And like Rob said, tell a friend about us. Let's, uh, let's share this. Let's make this thing grow. If you tell two friends and they tell two friends and they tell two friends and they tell two friends, soon enough we'll be on the billboards uh, in uh, in Bank of America. All right? That's what we're going for, ladies and gentlemen. All right. We will see y'all back here on Friday for the wrap-up this week, although not pregame prognostication pod because there's no game this week. We're celebrating the wait for two weeks, baby, right here on the Views for Mint Street podcast. Keep pounding, baby.